welcome to episode 105 of Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. I'm Alan Kavana, joined as always by David Smith. On this episode, we're talking free agency, a topic so big, we have a special guest. Jordan Bianchi joins us from The Athletic, talking about the dominoes that are sure to be falling soon. That plus the return to Sonoma and what the first two road courses of the year have taught us. But first, as is our new uh, tradition, (laughs) we're taking a historical deep dive. This week, picked by our guest, Jordan himself. It's not a certain race this time, but a moment. Back in 2000, Terry Labonte suffered a concussion, and choosing to fill in, Rick Hendrick went with Ron Hornaday and Todd Bodine. Jordan Bianchi, first of all, welcome to the podcast. And of all the moments in history, why this one? Why focus on this one? Thank you, Alan. Thank you, David, for having me. Love the podcast. Glad to be here. This seemed fitting with Hendrick Motorsports setting the record for most wins in the Cup Series this week and Kyle Larson doing so in the number five car. I thought it was appropriate to look back at the driver of the number five car who won a championship, Terry Labonte. As you mentioned, Alan, Terry was involved uh, in a pair of crashes in back-to-back weeks at Daytona in New Hampshire in the summer of 2000. Had an inner ear issue that was believed to be a concussion. He, he got a relief driver at Pocono. Rich Bickle hopped in that car. And then the following week at Indianapolis, decided he couldn't go. Hendrick Motorsports tabbed Todd Bodine. Interesting thing about Todd Bodine, he'd actually been a substitute for Hendrick Motorsports before for the inji- injured Ricky Craven back in 1997. And then the following week at Watkins Glen, they leaned on Ron Hornaday Jr. And so that is why we are talking about the number five car this week. All right. I like it. I respect that. 21 years ago, uh, a tie to the five car, especially after what Kyle Larson is doing uh, this year. David, do you remember that? Because honestly, you know, being a NASCAR fan, I honestly just didn't remember when Jordan brought this up that this had happened. Yeah, I, I do. I do remember it. And I remember that Terry was frustrated. Had they located that it was... Uh, something to do was an inner ear infection and not a, um, a concussion. Oh, and I recall, I recall him. No, no, no. They, that's what they thought it was. Yeah. But I recall him being frustrated that they weren't able to identify that sooner because the fix for that is a little easier and, and could have conceivably kept his Iron Man streak going. That was the important part of this is it, it broke that streak. Um, the drivers, Jordan had a better memory than I did on this, pulling them up, Todd Bodine and Ron Hornaday. It, it, it is really interesting because it was towards the end of Bodine's tenure in the cup series and Hornaday's didn't even begin, uh, yeah. until a year, a year later. I'll start with Hornaday first. Ron Hornaday was a lesser known part of the 2001 cup series rookie class that also contained Kevin Harvick. Kurt Busch, and the driver that everyone thought would be the next big star, Casey Atwood. Um, the difference was that Ron Hornaday, of course, was 43 years old at the time. And for the season, I think he competed in all but four races driving for AJ Foyt. The, the difference, though, he turned in a below average season based on his age's expectation. A 43-year-old driver's average is uh, nearly uh, 0.900 peer. Ron's was over a 0.600, which, it, it yeah, it's below average, not awful, though. A modern frame of reference in what I will estimate as similar equipment was what Corey LaJoy did last year and is doing this year. Uh, he had a, a 36 race peer of 0.542. 
last year. But it was interesting that he was picked for a road course. He finished 15th at Watkins Glen. I'd actually say that he was a sneaky good road racer. Uh, I think he was just an all-around good driver in general, but this did show up on the road courses. He earned a pair of top 20 finishes for A.J. Foyt in his 01 Cup Series season, and he ended up winning Watkins Glen in the Truck Series. So that was actually something that he did have going for him. It just it was not an out-of-the-blue pick. Uh, Todd Bodine, though, less successful as a Cup driver. Uh, his best year came at age 38. It nearly works out for our podcast there, but Ding. it was uh, it was a, a 0.875 peer. All other peers of his came in around 0.4 or worse. Bodine has said publicly that he truly figured out racing um, in, in his mind once he was in the truck series, but that didn't start for him in earnest until 2004 when he joined Bob Germain. He won twice that year in 10 starts, and then he went on to win 20 more races and two championships uh, before uh, effectively retiring and, and joining the, the Fox Sports crew. What a uh, what if two interesting picks. Uh, Jordan, do you recall that the Todd Bodine was something last minute? Was it a matter of just availability? Yeah, it was a matter of availability, and he had some experience with Hendrick Motorsports, and I don't know how you feel about this, David, but I always thought Todd Bodine never got a fair shake at, at the Cup Series. He had some really good runs with that Ray Mock team in, in the mid-90s, and they, they punched above his weight class at times. I was always looked at him as a driver who, if he got in good equipment, could do something. And he showed with Hendrick Motorsports when he hopped in the Budweiser car for Ricky Craven in 97. He, he, he led some laps at Texas and, and wasn't competitive in that race. So this was an opportunity for him. And, and the Ron Hornaday thing, I don't know. This was just a moment in time I just remember because this was this was Terry Labonte's streak ending, and I remember them going to Watkins Glen and thinking, "Oh, they're going to put a road course ringer in there." Who you know is Ron Fellows available? Who's it going to be? And they ended up going with Ron Hornaday Jr. Yeah, and not a bad result for that. I mean, Ron, he's he's a Hall of Famer for what he did in the Truck Series, which I realize is controversial, but I sort of lament not seeing him in the Cup Series earlier because I'm not saying he would have been a superstar, but he could have been an average cup driver, made more money. There's, you know, a, a way that that really worked out well for Ron, but he is a Hall of Famer based on what he was able to do in the truck series. And he was integral in the careers of a lot of these West Coast drivers that came over. Uh, Kevin Harvick uh, being one of the most prominent ones. Jimmy Johnson, too. And Harvick and Johnson slept on Ron Hornaday's couch in his basement. And they both credit Hornaday for, for really kind of giving them that first entry point into the NASCAR you know national level. Yeah. Have you heard that the NASCAR Hall of Fame has tried to get that couch? I have heard that. I have I heard that. It as an exhibit. Yeah, it's, it's a great, I mean, it's a hell of a story. It's, it's been told, but it'd be great to have that couch. I mean, you've got, you know, eight championships between these guys. They're, they're two of their greatest drivers of their generation. That would be that would be a great get for the Hall of Fame. I don't know where that is, but that would be fun. Yeah, it's probably in a dumpster somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would hope so at this point. But I was just looking. At, I mean, remember this was the era. If, if Terry Labonte, first of all, you know, breaks his Iron Man streak and how and the significance of that. But this is also you know going for a championship. If you miss a race back then, you're out of it, right? I mean, there were, there were no waivers back then. You were just you were just done and kind of out of contention and just you know. And that was a big deal for a driver, any driver to miss a race, much less Terry Labonte back then. Big deal, big driver to do it, and a, a, a great ride. I mean, a, a, lot, a lot of, think of the younger drivers that they bypassed p- 
potentially putting into that ride. Um, so it, it was, it was really a stroke of luck, good luck for, for Todd Bodine and Ron Hornaday to get the call and display a little bit of what they could do. I'd have to do a little bit more deep diving to understand if this was one of the reasons that AJ Foyt selected Ron Hornaday to drive that uh, 14 car in 01, just based on the cup performance, because that sounds like something cup owners would have done back then. Um, <laughs> but it, 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 it is interesting to think that, yeah, they, they had this opportunity and did something with it. All right. Good pick, Jordan. Good pick. Looking back on the five car, a weekend after the five car dominates the Coca-Cola 600 and it's episode 105 of Positive Regression. So good stuff. Good start. Let's get it started, though. When your business is starting its championship run, nothing matters more than finding and hiring the best team. With Indeed, you have the power to build a dynasty by hiring more MVPs faster. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We are going to talk free agency. I will uh, kind of serve as the host, and we have esteemed guest Jordan Bianchi and esteemed genius David Smith as our panel. We're just going to run through some of the top free agents looking toward the 2022 season because maybe you heard, because of people like Jordan, it's sort of in the news right now where people are going to be in 2022. So we'll start it off with a big one, Brad Kislowski. And David, you point out, look, Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr., they were off the board really early in terms of free agency, probably never really in play. But Brad Kislowski remains, at least technically at the moment, the most valuable free agent per his open market value on motorsports analytics. So, uh, Jordan, I know we've seen the reports. I think you can confirm them. That's what we'll start with. Where is Brad Kislowski going? He is going to Roush Fenway Racing, and I and I can confirm that he will be driving the number six car next year for Roush Fenway Racing. Um, Fox Sports, Bob Pockers over there, you know, had that lengthy report. He he broke the news on that. Kudos to him, but that is in fact happening. I've been told the same thing, and it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how Brad does over there, and then also the vacancy that now that Team Penske has to fill, and this is really a big domino. I wasn't completely shocked that this happened um, for a lot of different reasons. I think this is kind of something we kind of saw coming or gradually over the last couple of years, but this is still uh, big news nonetheless. And not your traditional free agent signing in terms of, I mean, the understanding is there's ownership in this stake, right? I mean, Brad Kozlowski would become something of an owner in this team. That That is my understanding. I don't have the particulars on what percentage that he's going to have or his role in the team on a outside of the driving and what, you know, long-term his role is going to be, but he will have an ownership stake in the team is what I've been told. All right. Big moves, uh, big stuff for the future. David, let's talk about the present, though, because we have talked extensively. Brad Kozlowski had the fastest car last year in Phoenix, literally one position away from title number two. And now I know there's changes coming up in the air with the with the next gen car and all that. But 
Brad is going from an A-lister of a team in Team Penske and bringing his talents and, more importantly, his most productive years, say the numbers, over to a brand new team that does not perform. Uh, is he risking anything by doing this, moving teams in the middle of what could be his most productive uh, peak years? Oh, absolutely. But not that it's an indictment on Roush Fenway, because I, I think going into 2022 with the Gen 7 car, it'd be a risk to move to any team outside of JGR, Hendrick, and, and maybe even RCR. So uh, we're, we're talking about a driver who is well aware of the aging curve and understands what this kind of move means for his short term, which, as you said, is his statistical peak. Mind you, he had no choice but to settle for uh, what is believed to be about a 40% pay cut, give or take, to stay at Penske after, as you said, bringing his team to within one spot of last year's championship. Uh, he is not the most valuable driver in the sport. He was not the most valuable free agent coming into this season. That was Hamlin and Truex. But a pay cut after the year that he had is correctly tough to swallow. So he very likely cashed in here. Uh, and, and with the equity, he'll receive more than he's worth. And that is likely to compound for him uh, with his manufacturing business. This is another investment in his portfolio. And it's a move that, yeah, it, it could potentially hinder the short term. And that would mean it hinders his statistical peak. We talked about Bill Elliott starting his own team during his statistical peak and not winning. Um, that yeah, that, that's on the table here, but that depends on the kinds of improvements that Roush Fenway now, after getting Keselowski, makes to properly take advantage of Keselowski. Because one of the reasons that you sign a driver like this, one of the reasons that you offer him uh, an ownership stake is that you want to take advantage of his best years. And they will be positioned to do that. Whether they take advantage remains to be seen. But I find it interesting he has said in the past that he's wanted to model himself after Roger Penske. Roush Fenway offered him that opportunity. And it is ironic that he is leaving Penske in order to be more like Penske. Well put. Um, I, I'm well said and succinctly done. <laughs> but but in terms of the next gen car, is is there any part of you that thinks that indeed just ha just the next gen car in general can close that competition gap where maybe Brad isn't taking as big of a risk with his prime years as we think? I mean, is there any realm of that possibility? That's the thought, right? Like that. Mm. That's that's probably <laughs> going to be the prevailing logic, but. We don't know. We don't know until they're they're on the track. You know, I, I mentioned JGR, Hendrick, and then maybe as a byproduct, RCR. Uh, they they did build the first Gen Seven car. Uh, Penske. You feel confident of the personnel at the team to put a good race car on the track. I'm, I'm leaving SHR off for right now, just based on what we've seen from them this year. Um, or maybe they're already focused. I don't know. And that and that's sort of the reality is we don't know until that car hits the track who's done their homework properly, who's an early adopter. Uh, maybe it is Roush Fenway. And, and maybe Keselowski knows a little bit more than we do about what has happened behind the scenes or because he's in this ownership role, he might assemble the, the personnel that he feels he needs to be successful in this spot. 
Interesting stuff. So if Brad moves, Brad, as uh, the reports are confirmed, <laughs> Jordan, who do we feel is most likely to take the open rides at Penske? We're talking the two-car at Penske, one of the most iconic rides in the sport, started by Rusty Wallace, Hall of Famer, first ballot. Uh, oh, who yeah. takes over? Who suddenly moves into that ride? And then how does the dominoes fall over at Penske? What do you think happens? I love the fact that you just had to make sure you mentioned Rusty Wallace as a Hall of Famer, by the Amen. way. So, Amen. First ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, first ballot. Congratulations. Um, it's interesting <laughs> to see what happens here. It may, we, we don't know for sure, but reading the tea leaves and talking to folks, it makes the most sense that Austin Sindrick ends up sliding over into that car. We know Austin is set next year to go to the Wood Brothers and move to the Cup Series. Austin Sindrick is considered a a, prime, a a future driver for Team Penske that they're going to build around. That he's going to be within their organization proper, not with an affiliate team. It would make sense that that process starts next year. You don't go out and get somebody and put them in that car. And let's be honest, there really isn't anybody on the market that really kind of fits what Penske wants to do. So Austin Sindrick is the leading candidate to end up in the number two car replacing Brad Keselowski, which then, of course, creates other dominoes that we are going to get to. Yeah, the 21 car, first of all. David, you want to touch on that? Yeah, I, I agree with Jordan on uh, the Sendrick pick. I think this is one of those cases where the most obvious answer is probably the answer. And I, I mean, as far as De Benedetto, I, I suppose he, he's still contractually tied to his deal with Wood Brothers. I, I think they can just keep it going instead of releasing him as they had planned to do. But Jordan, you can echo these sentiments. Folks within the garage this past weekend seem uh, not within Penske, and I'll, and I'll, I'll put that in there seem to be kind of down on De Benedetto's uh, chances for this. His restarting prowess, what he does in races containing late restarts, Alan, we've talked about this. We talked about it last week. That isn't nearly as valued as it probably should be. And while I do believe that there is some limited upside to De Benedetto, Oh, and I'll clarify that. I don't I don't think he's a guy who's going to win 20 Cup Series races in his career. I would be happy to be wrong about that. But he, not, he might not be that guy that can do that. He does bring a value and a lot of it in certain scenarios. So ultimately, he's probably not long for the Penske organization and the Wood Brothers team, but he's clearly deserving of a Cup Series ride for a possible playoff team. And that is also the here that the Wood Brothers 21 has been in since the days of Ryan Blaney. So it, it's it does feel like even though maybe one may feel better than the other, I, I think it's a commensurate relationship on, on equal footing. We hear the talk that is, is, is Matt going to be, you know, is Matt a long-term solution at the Wood Brothers? Probably not. Is he going to be a fit next year? Depends on who you talk to, but it just makes the most sense to keep this as seamless as possible. He does have an option in his contract that Penske can exercise that they would just keep him in that car for another year and then basically kind of punt down the road and then reset next year and say, okay, with this next gen car, we don't know what the affiliates are going to be. We don't know how much technical alliances are going to matter. We don't know where sponsorship is going to be. Then they can reassess next year and see if this is something they want to can do. It just makes sense to continue this way, though some people think that it may not happen. All right. Well, if there are, if there is an opening at the 21 car, we we will discuss a, a few more options here in a second. Uh, next up, we'll talk about free agent Kurt Busch. And Jordan, you broke some news over the weekend in Charlotte about 
Kurt Busch's potential future. Uh, go over that report again for us. Yeah, 2311 Racing is going to add a second car uh, next year full-time. Kurt Busch is the leading contender to get that spot. It's, it's not a done deal by any means. Kurt actually cannot begin negotiating with other uh, teams until June 1st today as we're recording this. Um, so if this comes to fruition, it, we, we know that 2311 has is, is talked about adding a second car. It's something they've wanted to do. I've been told that this is a done deal and it will happen. And when this happens, they have identified Kurt Busch and he is expected to be in that car next year on a full-time basis. All right. Great reporting there. And David, certainly something we heard over the weekend and people started asking Denny Hamlin questions, the owner of 2311. You know, what kind of driver would you want if you had a second uh, yeah. a second car over 2311 racing? Just trying to kind of feel him out there. But David, it brings up the question. Bush has monster energy relationship, right? Money, potential sponsorship there. But what's worth more to a team like that? 2311, David, the, the, the monster energy relationship or just Kurt Busch himself, the production, the ability, the know-how, the the what's between his ears. I mean, what's worth more to that team? Money, money, all, oh, all the money. More than his, Kurt Busch. <laughs> okay. His current season extrapolation right now is worth $1.88 million on the open market. And his 2022 projection is right now worth about $1.68 million. So let's... Let's make an assumption that the Monster Energy deal is worth north of $2 million per year, and I think that's a low bar. I'm going to say the sponsorship. I enjoy watching Kurt on his best day. I will be his biggest defender, especially because of the entertainment that he has delivered on restarts throughout his career. He is clearly a rocket scientist when it comes to driving and articulating what he's able to do behind the wheel. But uh, in Jordan, please let me know if you feel otherwise. If he leaves Ganassi, I don't see any tangible way in which he's left Ganassi better than it was when he arrived. So the veteran leadership, the experience, the knowledge between the ears, I don't know if that's making an impact where he's at now. So forgive me if I'm not necessarily bullish on that impacting 2311. I, I respectfully disagree in this sense. If you look at the where the one car was at before Kurt got there, I think it's fair to say they underachieved on, on a regular basis. Kurt got there. He, he's won a race every single year that he's been there. He's made the playoffs every single year. He's given them a level of performance and results they simply didn't have before. So at the very least, he showed that Ganassi has race-winning equipment and is good enough to make the playoffs on, on a regular basis, something they weren't able to do before. So on that respect, I do think he's made the, the Chip Ganassi racing better. And you talk to people in the organization, there's been little things behind the scenes. He said, hey, you know, in meetings, in, in leading meetings, in pointing out this is what we need to do here and this is what we need to do here, those kind of things that maybe don't always show up every week or, you know, show up in the box score, those are the kind of things that people point to and say that is how he's made us better. If Kurt Busch does leave Chip Ganassi racing, what does that team do, right? I mean, you'll have... Ross Chat, you in in the, in the past two years, you will have lost Kyle Larson and you will have lost Kurt Busch. And you have Ross Chastain in an open ride should Kurt Busch leave Chip Ganassi Racing. What does that team do to get back on a on a winning plane, a winning plan again? Um, I can I don't know about a winning plan, but I can talk about a funded plan. Uh, I have an idea, no knowledge though here. Uh Justin Haley, for one, 
he is a funded driver and Ganassi would appreciate a like for like replacement and funding because Bush is taking monster energy with him. But Haley is represented by Spire. And in fact, he currently drives for Spire in the Cup Series. But the Spire Ganassi relationship is airtight. Uh, it dates back to when Jeff Dickerson worked for Chip Ganassi and probably even before that. Uh, Haley's uncle, Todd Braun, who was influential in Spire getting the charter that they have, owned an Xfinity team that was, for years, the Ganassi developmental feeder team in, uh, in broad racing. So easy for me to connect the dots. Perhaps they do not go this route, but it's very clearly a direct pathway to a driver with funding. I don't know that that's the most exciting pick, but... I can at least, uh, you know, read some tea leaves and see that it's a possible pick. Jordan, any thoughts on where a team like Ganassi, a, a longtime historic team, they'd be suddenly without a veteran presence? It would, and it's going to be interesting to see which direction they go there. And I think, Dave, as David touched on, the biggest component is probably the sponsorship side of things. If they lose Kurt Busch, they're going to lose Monster. How do you replace both of those? Do you go out and find a sponsor and then find a driver later, or do you do it reverse? The Haley thing is interesting. I could see that conceivably. I mean, the, the Spire-Ganassi relationship is long established, as David said. It, it does seem, though, that Spire has a plan long-term for that 77 car and, and making that more competitive and getting a driver in there full-time. My understanding is that Haley is that driver and they want him in that car. Could I see Haley going over the Ganassi? Yes, there's a scenario, but I think more likely he ends up staying with Spire in their actual proper 77 car. It's going to be interesting. I think... The way this is end up shaking out with the dominoes, if, if Kurt does end up leaving it as it is expected to happen, um, this to me all of a sudden opens up as probably the best ride out there because everything else is going to be kind of earmarked. We know what's going to happen with the two car. Basically, we have a pretty good idea what's going to happen with the 21 car. This all of a sudden, uh, with this ride with Ganassi, you have an opportunity to go in there. We, we know what they're capable of. This this becomes the biggest question mark out there. Are they Jordan, do you think they're willing to without any kind of established funding, are they willing to pay for some of these other drivers that are out there and and good and available? That's a really good question. And I, I don't have the answer to that. I think the only thing I can say is look at what happened when the last time they had a vacancy. The 42 car opened up last year. They filled with Matt Kenseth to kind of you know bridge the gap. And they had an opportunity to do some different things with some different drivers. Eric Jones's name was mentioned. Um, there was conversations there. Um, there was a contract offer to Bubba Wallace. Um, that didn't go anywhere, obviously. So they looked at different things. But Bubba brought sponsorship with him. The conversations with Eric Jones didn't get that far where sponsorship was a thing. They ultimately decided to go with Ross Chastain. Ross, is, Ross was an inexpensive hire, let's be honest. Um, and Ross brought a little bit of sponsorship dollars with him, not a lot. But Ganassi went that route. I don't think it'd be surprising if they go that route again, if they're able to find sponsorship. All right. That's Kurt Busch, a Chevy driver off the board. Let's talk Alex Bowman. Jordan, this is, I mean, I don't know, maybe kind of a half free agent only because Rick Hendrick, <laughs> well, Rick Hendrick is on record, you know, stating a multi-year extension. Uh, it's just a formality, right? I and mean, that it's coming Alex Bowman back in the 48. But do you know if did they ever consider Anyone else for the 48 ride? Had, have you heard anything to that front? Yeah, I, I, Bowman's not going anywhere. They, they like him a lot. He's, he's established there. They like his work ethic. They like what he does behind the scenes. They like 
everything about him. He's a good fit. He's not high maintenance. He fits in with what the team does. And he's giving them results. He's got two wins this year. And as long as those results are happening, there's no reason to get rid of him. So, no, Bowman's not going anywhere. And Hendrick has not had conversations with anyone else, nor are they interested in anyone else. All right. Uh, and look, he's got the win so far. He's proven, proven winner at Hen- Team Hendrick on a, a team and organization, certainly on an upswing, David. So what is Bowman's worth, you know, statistically, as we like to talk about it? And is it possible Hendrick views him more favorably than what the actual numbers say? I, th- I think that's possible. Uh, it's it's fair to guess. Um, of the drivers who haven't announced plans for next season, he's the fourth most valuable in terms of open market value. Uh, Keselowski, Benedetto, and Stenhouse all rank ahead of him. And seemingly, on paper, they would be upgrades. But they would uh, appropriately ask for more money. And there is a fear of the unknown, especially with Benedetto and Stenhouse. Uh, and as Jordan said, Bowman is particularly low maintenance, and he's the devil that they know. But with, with Bowman also earning probably a salary near his worth, it frees up Hendrick Motorsports to pay both Chase Elliott and William Byron, who are both free agents in advance of 2023, those drivers are going to get paid. Uh, Elliott especially. I, I, <laughs> I doubt I doubt he's going anywhere. I, I'll, I'll, I'll say that now. I doubt it. But he is Chase Elliott. He is the sport's most popular driver three times over. He has leverage. And he's represented by Pro Sport Management. That's the same camp that represents Denny Hamlin and helps operate 2311 Racing. And no, not trying to start a rumor, but again, leverage. Good old Rick is going to have to dig deep into his wallet next summer. So Bowman, clearly capable of having a winning team built around him, also allows for some financial flexibility. Uh, and And I wrote about this last week for Forbes. It was more than 10 years ago when Hendrick Motorsports uh, was paying uh, Jeff and Jimmy and Dale and either Mark Martin or Casey Kane and, and, and the four drivers all at once were earning a lot of money and a lot, a chunk of the sponsor revenue that was coming in. And it wasn't a great idea and it ultimately was not sustainable. So Alex Bowman's niche here at Hendrick is a good one. He, he's found himself in a really good spot and he's a keeper even if only for that reason. All right. Well, I mean, and he produces though. So I mean, yeah. at some point I know what the numbers say, but when, you know, decisions are made sometimes not on the deepest of dives into the numbers we talk about, David. Sometimes it's about those baseline wins or what you do in the playoffs. Uh, decisions can be made like that, even from team executives. Yeah. And, and that's, but that's kind of the way that you have to look at it, right? There isn't a salary cap, but it seems that now, Teams, organizations are operating as if they have one and they're making some conscious choices about how much they're paying drivers. And that's polarizing within the industry. We've we've heard that much, but it is necessary. If Hendrick was going out and dumping $10 million a year on Brad Keselowski, they'd get him. But that's a lot of that's a lot of money. And those other three drivers are going to want a lot more money on their next deals. And all of a sudden you have the same situation that you had uh, about a decade ago with four superstars that, yeah, it was it was good when things were going really well. 
but when they stopped in, in, in the instance that there is some sort of an economic recession affecting sponsor availability, it is a serious, serious problem. And it's something that you want to avoid. So I think organizations being more shrewd about the money they're spending, that's in part of why we're getting a new, more affordable race car starting next season. Uh, it, it's It's leading to some different points of view when it comes to driver evaluation against the rest of the market. All right. A couple more here. Ricky Stenhouse. Jordan, what does JTD Doherty racing look like in 2022, especially with Ricky Stenhouse on the market? And, you know, who comes back? What happens over there? That's a great question. And that's a big unknown. We know Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is a free agent. We also know Ryan Priest, his teammate, is a free agent. We also know that the 47 car that Ryan Priest drives, I'm sorry, the 37 car that Ryan Priest drives doesn't have a charter. Um, they have said this year, Brad Doherty is on the record saying, we are going to run that car through the basically through the regular season and then assess where we're at come the playoffs. It's a big question mark whether this team makes it through the full season. Ryan Priest was asked this weekend, and he said he has heard nothing to indicate otherwise that he won't be running all these races. Next year, we don't know. Uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. has done a good job this year. Um, they started off the year strong, and Ricky was doing a really good job of getting results befitting that team and was kind of in that playoff conversation. They, they've kind of backslid a little bit. We don't know what this is going to do. They have sponsorship there for one car. The second car, I wouldn't be surprised if that goes away. And if JTG continues on, them as a one-car team makes the most sense economically. The other thing to have to consider is uh, industry speculation. People I've had conversations with have said to me, JTG is a team that could be in play for sale, for being for sale. And if that's the case, that really puts a big question mark of what happens over there. Again, we, we, nothing confirmed. This is just kind of speculation. So don't know, but it would seem that if JTG is, continues on, isn't sold, and is going to continue on as a one-car team, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is the best fit for what they're trying to do. Yeah, it certainly seems like he has a home there, right, David? But And as Jordan mentioned, he's enjoying a, a really consistent year so far, getting finishes uh, maybe above average at times that, that we uh, wouldn't expect out of that car. But So do you think other teams are, are paying attention to him? I mean, we've mentioned a bunch of other potential rides. I know they seem like foregone conclusions, but if you're the 21 car or you're 2311 racing, is it worth giving Ricky Stenhouse Jr. a look giving out, based on what he's done this year? You know, to, to speak about if if that organization is up for sale, he Ricky has gone on the record saying that he enjoys driving for for JTG, and he has a close relationship with Brian Patty, dating back to their time at Roush Fenway together. And uh, and Ricky confirmed to me last weekend that extension talks will begin soon. Dad's coming to the track now again. Um, that didn't happen uh, across the whole of uh, of last year, but if it's for sale. And he finds himself on the market. I don't know, Alan. I don't know the extent to which other teams are actually paying close attention. And that's not to say I think he's being ignored. He's represented by KHI management. That's owned by Kevin Harvick. KHI has a lot of pull with Stuart Haas Racing for reasons that you would expect. But in general, what Stenhouse doesn't have is funding. If he had that, he would be a commodity. Everybody would be paying attention at that point. On the racetrack, though, it's you're you're right. It's been a good season. His production splits are close to even 1.6 on 550, 1.5 on 750. He's a plus passer at 550 horsepower tracks. His restarting in general needs to improve, but 
he does tend to thrive when races have chaotic conclusions because his peer is above 2.5 in races with at least one late restart. He's amenable to strategy. He can certainly arrow block when propped up in the running order, which Brian Patty's been doing. I think he'd be perfect for RCR. That pairing, I think, would be like chocolate and peanut butter, but I don't huh. know if that will, there will ever be a pathway for that. Um, his his crash rate always has been high, uh, and, and that's the same this year. He's, he's one of the four highest uh, crash frequencies this season, but... In regards, uh, in regards to the season, the crashing hasn't hampered the team's ability to score consistent good finishes. They got another one at the Coke 600, um, and he's in the playoff hunt. So seemingly, this is the best version of Stenhouse that we've seen. Teams should be paying attention to the progress he's making as a driver, but if they are, that's another story. All right, let's do some quick, just rapid fire with the, the, the remaining free agents. One I think is actually really important, this first one. Eric Jones, Jordan, where does Eric Jones end up next year? Eric Jones has an option in his contract. Uh, both David and I have reported this, so he, you know, it's not a foregone conclusion that he returns to Richard Petty Motorsports next year. I would expect him to continue with this team. Uh, if you look at the landscape right now, some of the teams that have openings or potential openings, a Ganassi, a Stuart Haas racing, uh, they, they had an opportunity to bring in Eric last year and they passed on him. I, I don't know why anything that's changed that would, would compel them to bring in Eric this year. I think Eric is going to stay where he's at. There's going to be some changes within Richard Petty Motorsports that I think are going to put Eric in a better position to be more competitive. And I think next year um, is going to be an opportunity for Eric to kind of reassess and maybe get uh, if things don't work out the way he wants them to at Petty to maybe to look around the landscape a little bit and make a change if he wants to. David, a ridiculously talented young driver in Eric Jones. Where does he end up? Uh, I'm going to have to agree with Jordan. I think he ends up staying at RPM because these teams somehow could not evaluate him properly last year. And I just have zero faith in them doing a (laughs) U-turn on that this season. Unfortunate for Eric. um, But the the good news is he can can opt in to an agreement next year. So he will have a job in the Cup Series in 2022. Mm -hmm. All right, next up, Eric Almarola, driver, you know, to our understanding, comes with a bunch of money, which may make him the most valuable free agent out there. David, I'll start with you. Where's Eric Almarola race in 2022? Stuart Haas racing. Uh, with Smithfield returning, uh, I think that is key in keeping up. I don't want to say it's a house of cards as, at as SHR, but uh, they're reliant on that sponsor funding, and Eric is, has been a good ambassador for Smithfield. Uh, Jordan, I mean, terrible year over there for the 10 car. And do you see any change for 2022? I don't. I mean, Eric's name has been mentioned at a couple different spots. Uh, but at the end of the day, the way things are kind of shaping up now, Eric's best option is, is to stay with Stuart Haas Racing. Smithfield is obviously the key component of this. If Smithfield stays with him, he can kind of pick and choose his spot in a lot of respects. But it makes most sense for him to stay with Stuart Haas Racing. All right, the domino that fell with the Kozlowski news would be Ryan Newman. Jordan, what happens to Ryan Newman next year? Uh, I did an interview last week, said he certainly wants to keep racing, still has things in mind. He's not going anywhere, at least by his own decision. So where's Ryan Newman go? It depends on what Ryan Newman is willing to do in terms of salary. If Ryan is willing to race for a low salary, there's going to be opportunities for him. If he wants to continue to make what he's making now, I think the market's going to be really tough for him. When you look at it, there, there isn't really a great spot for him to go right now. 
Um, maybe Chip Ganassi Racing takes a look at him as, as you know, mm, kind the of veteran. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's Kurt Busch 2.0. You bring in the veteran, and we figure this out. And that that would make sense. But again, is can Ganassi afford Ryan? Is, is Ryan willing to come from down from his salary a little bit? And then there's a the sponsorship component as well. And then David can probably speak to this better. What are you getting in Ryan Newman? What what is Ryan Newman giving you in production that is compelling enough to say, if you're a team, I, I want to bring him in. I personally don't see it. I think there's better options to go, but David can speak better to this. I think it depends on the team in addition to the salary, because I do think that there are teams in the back half of the cup garage that could really use someone like Ryan Newman and tap into at the very least his car knowledge, but you're right about the salary. He's going to want a lot. He's probably not going to get the number that he's being paid even right now at Roush. And does he willingly go to a team that has no hope of the playoffs? Cause I, I don't, I don't see that. If not, uh, SRX might be a good, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm oh, half geez. joking, but like it, but Newman is clearly capable. He wants to drive. He's, he's dabbled in some truck races on dirt when he gets a chance. Um, there's something there, but I understand Jordan's reservations about how, how much of this juice is worth the squeeze because Ryan Newman doesn't come cheap. Uh, but that might be the, the, the market and teams that he's dealing with. Last one, uh, not something we always talk about in terms of options. Michael McDowell, any chance he moves teams and maybe upgrades because he's performing well? Is there any chance that earns him something different, maybe something better? It doesn't matter because he, he, he said that not, it only doesn't he, matter. It, 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 not only is he willing to stay at front row for as long as Bob Jenkins will have him there, he told me this past weekend that a pay raise, which – he he actually statistically is deserving of would not be a part of the conversation regarding his uh, contract extension and the deal that he has with front row is is year to year. Um, his value on the track has increased by over one hundred and twenty one percent from his preseason valuation. I recently wrote about this for Forbes. He's never been valued as high as this, but front row is in a position to improve, uh, he believes, and he might be onto something. Because whereas there will be massive layoffs before next season with the Gen 7 car, we've talked about all the kinds of jobs that it will eliminate. Front Row Motorsports' frugal nature has put them in this unique position to add people in an off season where most organizations are laying people off. Uh, they will be able to cherry pick the mechanic talent that floods the market. And he wants to make sure that he is around for that. Uh, so he appreciates the build. He's happy. He's having the, a career season. No, he's going nowhere. Hmm. David, I mean, J- Jordan, finish it out for us. What do you think? 34 car. Again, I mean, what David said is, I mean, if that's what Michael wants to do, Michael's going to stay there. But looking at it from a big picture perspective, I don't see any teams that are really interested in Michael McDowell and what he brings. A lot of this is predicated on sponsorship and everything. Michael doesn't really bring any sponsorship with him. And you look at the teams with openings out there, they have a very specific need. Um, and Michael doesn't necessarily fit that hand in glove, peanut butter and jelly, Michael McDowell and front row motorsports go really well together. It's smart for him to recognize this and not try to, to make a move, 
um, when a move probably isn't the best thing for his career. He's got a, in a really good spot right now. And if the next-gen car levels the playing field like some people think it's going to, um, as David mentioned, you know, front row could be an opportunity to do something here. So don't fix what's broken. All right. Don't fix uh, well, what's not broken. Excuse oh, me. So, I don't know. You're the writer here. You're the yeah, creative one. I don't know what you're well. going for. <laughs> well, that was a good level-headed, level-headed, in-depth conversation about free agency. And I look forward to looking back at this conversation to see how correct our two experts are. So that's something we'll do here in the near future. Well, let's move on to the weekend, the more uh, the, the the present, right? The the near future, Sonoma. For the first time in two years, they did not race there last year. The Cup Series did not because of the pandemic. So the Cup Series is back in wine country. And David, I mean, look, Sonoma used to be the first road course race of the year, back when there were only two, back when these things were odd and unique. This year, it is not. It will be number three. We've already seen the Daytona road course. We've seen the Circuit of the Americas. Did you learn anything on those two tracks that can get, tell us anything about what, how Sonoma might play out? We've learned that these races can be easily influenced by either a good driver or a good strategy. Uh, and ideally, you have both. At Circuit of the Americas, I know it was rain-shortened, but the, the finishing order uh, I found quite fascinating. The entire top 10 was comprised of either strategy forward teams or drivers like Joey Logano, AJ Allmendinger, and Chase Briscoe, uh, all of them with recent road racing reputations. And and, and in fairness to AJ, that's been his reputation uh, for the whole of his career. But if you don't have those ingredients, you can't follow the recipe. And on ovals, there are some tracks that are forgiving. You you can have what is essentially an ineffective race or a bad race and still fare pretty well. But these road races recently in NASCAR, for as much of a circus as they've been at times, they are kind of stingy. There's a reason that Chase Elliott and Martin Truex are separated from the rest. Uh, we don't get much in the name of randomness when it comes to performance. So I I, I think we're looking at a it may be a slim window uh, of of real race win contenders when we're talking about Sonoma. David, in 2019, uh, the carousel came back, a different part of the track at Sonoma. What do I mean? It makes it a longer racetrack, fewer laps. So, did you, I mean, it's only been the one small sample size, I guess, since it's been back. But did you learn anything more about the, the track's characteristics now that the, the carousel is back? I'll tell you what, it dramatically altered the restart dynamic. At Sonoma, the the new turn four really? oh. is a sharp right hander into the carousel, and the turn before that, uh, it, it's called turn three A. It offers a more gradual approach, but clearly, if you're looking at a track map, you'd want to be on the inside of the turn, um, and that because it caters to the car that's on the inside. Without the carousel there was a nice rounded line after turn 3A, which begged for horsepower and it made things a little more even when possible. But with the carousel, that point for relief or that area where you can mount a a comeback is gone. Uh, You want to be on the inside in turn 3A to give you an advantage going into the carousel because turn four is sharp. 
Uh, there's no too wide opportunity there at, at entry. And that played out in 2019 because this track used to be pretty straight up as far as uh, restart retention with in 2018, it was a uh, 71.4% retention to 67.9% favoring the inside groove. Well, we have added the carousel. Those in the inside groove saw an advantage in 2019 of about 38 percentage points. Huge difference. It's a track that I would rather restart from fifth than from fourth. So don't be surprised if you're listening in on on the the scanner or over the radio. I suspect that there will be some drivers unhappy with some of the restart slotting if we see that. And no choose rule, remember, on these road courses, if I do remember correctly. So uh, you just have to be be lucky, I guess, in where you restart and be good with your restart uh, with your restart prowess. Uh, Jordan, every week we pick uh, make our picks for the win, and we do our contrarian performers. So Dave, uh, you are our guest, Jordan. I'll let you go first. Who is your pick to win, Sonoma? I'm not going to overthink this. I'm going to pick the guy who's won the last two races at Sonoma. That's Martin Truex Jr. So All right. nice keep and it easy. straight and simple, exactly. Yeah, that's what's kind of tough about these road courses. David, anything to offer on uh, on, on something other than the, the hot names, like a Martin Truex Jr.? Who are you picking? I'm picking Kyle Larson. Ooh, okay. Uh, for him, road racing represents the last frontier. Uh, and there has always been something about Kyle Larson at Sonoma. Uh, he only has five starts there ever. He's never qualified worse than fifth. He has three poles. So... He's, he's readily able to produce one very good lap. Um, he's never finished above 10th, though. And uh, my optimism stems from what Cliff Daniel said after the Coke 600. Larson's crew chief expressed that they don't prioritize any tracks over others, that it is a week-at-a-time mentality. This might be something that bites them come playoff time, but I feel pretty good about it going into a track that they've never experienced together like we're going to see this weekend. I think Hendrick Motorsports in general will be very good. Uh, I, I know that I'm not going out on a limb and saying that, but I also think if road racing ever begins to click with Kyle Larson, it will begin at Sonoma. So... That's my win pick. Yeah, I'll go on the line. All right. All yeah. right. I'm like an idiot not choosing Martin Truex Jr., not choosing Chase Elliott. I'm going Denny Hamlin. Uh, I, he's got great 750 speed this year, great road course speed this year. Uh, if you look, you know, if you're a fantasy type player, you look the last three races at Sonoma, he has scored the most points there out of any driver. So, you know, maybe I'm being foolish, not picking the obvious, but we've seen Denny Hamlin run well there before, and I think he can do it again. I think Denny Hamlin wins in Sonoma on Sunday. What do you boys think? I'm not, not that far off, right? <laughs> no, I mean, he almost won there in 2016. He became one corner away, so he's yeah. good. He's good in road courses. People don't realize that. Yeah. All right. So those are some of the more obvious picks, right? Our win picks, what we hope are obvious picks. Let's go contrarian performers. Maybe someone who could uh, maybe contend for the win or at least perform above their weight class. That's how we can say with these contrarian performers. Who do you got, Jordan? I'm going to take William Byron. I I don't know if that qualifies per se, but he's never won a road course race before. But if you look at his Sonoma record, he has done well there. The last uh, road course race there, or the last race there in 2019, he won the first stage. He finished third in the second stage and would have had a top 10 finish had some strategy gone their way. He is pretty good here. He qualifies well here. 
if he can get in position, I don't see why he couldn't win. And he's riding this this hot streak lately. We have seen William Byron make a lot of gains this year as a driver. This is probably like as to use one of David's terms, the next frontier. I wouldn't be surprised to see him in contention on Sunday. David might argue that it's not a contrarian pick, but I see what you're saying. Just because we you know we talk up Willie B a lot, especially at these road courses, <laughs> listeners are, are yelling at it right now. No, that's not contrarian. Right, I'll give you a different name. I'll give you Daniel Suarez. Oh, ooh, I like that. He was my pick last week too, the contrarian pick. All right, that, that's fair. He's done well at Watkins Glen. What else do you like about him? Uh, he's, they need a they need a run. They have a lot of speed at Kokoda. It did, they had a broken transmission early, and their yes, day went yep. awry really early. Daniel's a good road course racer. He's got a background in this a little bit. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if this is something that they, they they put an emphasis on, that that materializes in, in a good run for him. All right. David, how about you? Contrarian pick, Sonoma. Ross Chastain. And uh, in saying so, I would like to uh, apologize to Ross Chastain. <laughs> but oh. he is uh, he's the best road course, uh, or had the best road course surplus passing value in the Cup Series in 2019. Of course, he was passing some back markers while doing that. But I've made him a contrarian pick twice this season. The first time was on the Daytona road course and he crashed out. The second time was last weekend in Charlotte. He went behind the wall with a fuel pump issue and uh, I'm a stubborn person. (laughs) So I'm going to pick him again. He is, he is an imperfect driver, but the chops that he has, I believe are legitimate. And this appears to be one of them. And he showed that at Coda. Uh, Also, his crew chief, Phil Surgeon, absolutely crushing it this year on long run strategy. He ranks second in weighted position retention right now. So the 42 Ganassi car, I think they're going to need a win if they want to make the playoffs. Uh, not guaranteeing a win here, but I think they'll give it a, a decent shot. All right. I mean, I'm going with Michael McDowell. Uh, again, looking back, points scored. Fourth in points scored when you look at the two road course races this year. So he's been very consistent. One of only three drivers with two top tens in both of the road course races this year. And so when you watch something like Fantasy Live on NASCAR.com this week, uh, he will get a mention because I think he is worth a start if you are a fantasy player. And he is worth my contrarian pick to, uh, I think, have a top 10, if not contend for more. Maybe it all comes together for young Mr. McDowell. Another good episode of Positive Regression, episode 105. Jordan Bianchi, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Uh, we always do plugs at the end of the at the end of an episode. We'll get to that in a second. But what are you working on for the athletic? Boy, that's a good. That's a long list of things we got going on at the athletic this week specifically. Um, I have a power rankings thing I do once a month where I rank drivers from Formula One, IndyCar, NASCAR. Basically, it's just a, a way to put together a bunch of drivers on a, on a piece of paper and then have our readers get mad at me for how I rank them. So look for, for <laughs> look for that this week on The Athletic and them calling me an idiot because, God forbid, I even try to compare Chase Elliott to Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen to, to Scott Dixon. So please, I thoughts and prayers. All right. Well, good stuff. <laughs> thoughts and prayers. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you for joining us again. And uh, your uh, your article on Pitbull was awesome. Pitbull was at the thank Coke you. 600, and uh, Jordan followed and tailed him around and got a lot of good uh, uh, flavor and culture about just the effect that pit, having Pitbull in the pits and around the garages, what that did for NASCAR. A lot of cool details in there. So make sure you check that one out. 
And don't forget this podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Luminary, TuneIn, and YouTube. We're available no matter your device. Our entire back catalog of episodes is available for free at posregpod.com. If you like what you're hearing, please leave a rating or a review that, of course, helps spread the word about positive regression. We always notice it is so appreciated. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Reach out to us on Twitter at posregpod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. David, you are always working hard. What do you got this week? This week for NBC Sports, I am writing about JTG Doherty's two drivers, Ricky Stenhouse and Ryan Priest, as we've discussed. They're both free agents, but I talked to them both this weekend about that. I'll have some analysis to go with it. Uh, Their value, a little more than meets the eye. And on Sunday, my Sonoma race preview uh, always a favorite on NBC Sports, so please check that out as well. I will also be reading the comment section on The Athletic to see which British <laughs> F1 fans call Jordan a wanker. <laughs> oh, I cannot wait for that. That should be entertaining. Uh, so add that to the list of things to do this weekend. Uh, you can catch me, uh, you can catch up with me on Twitter at Alan Kavana, but I got a bunch of stuff going on. If you are a subscriber and you listen to this Thursday morning, first of all, thank you. But make sure you hit my Twitter page or Speed Sport. We preview the weekend with our quick hits video. A lot of good local short track racing going on. I'll preview it all for that. NASCAR.com Fantasy Live. I know you love playing the fantasy game, so make sure you check out the video. Me and Amy Long with some pretty decent advice about how to street <laughs> how to have good strategy for your road course team this week and on Sirius XM NASCAR radio I'll be hosting co-hosting with Larry Mack on Friday before Sonoma and Monday after Sonoma so we got the whole weekend covered before and after make sure you check all that out as always thank you for listening thank you uh, for just being a part of the positive regression family make sure you have a good weekend enjoy the road course racing out in sonoma for david smith jordan bianchi i'm alan Cavana. have a good week Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.